What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 and 5. We start with the SEC approving the first ever spot Bitcoin ETF is being called an industry game changer, but will it spark a broader wave of institutional adoption? Also, seven days and still no solution from Boeing as United and Alaska, they continue to cancel hundreds of flights a day because of their grounded 737 MAX 9 jet fleets. What Boeing CEO David Calhoun told our Phil LeBeau in a CNBC exclusive. Plus, the countdown is on for what could be a major market event, the December CPI report. We speak with Moody's Mark Zandi about that report and the outlook for big Fed rate cuts this year. Plus, we look ahead to Taiwan's presidential election and why events on the tiny island could have massive worldwide implications. And then later in the show, the big bank risking a fourth quarter loss in the middle of a massive turnaround plan It's Thursday, January the 11th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check of U.S. stock futures. After a higher day for stocks, I saw the Nasdaq extend its win streak to four and the S&P turn positive on the year. Take a look. We're seeing in the green across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up about 40 points higher. The Nasdaq, the best performer in the pre-market, up over one-third of 1%. We're also checking the bond market, and the 10-year yield just trying to hold just below that key 4% mark you see right now at 3.994. We'll continue to watch the moves on the bond yields here throughout the morning. So this action we're seeing here is investors await today's December CPI report. That's due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Economists are expecting the headline figure to have eased just a bit from November, with the core remaining just about the same, near 4%. Also this morning, we've got a lot of news in crypto. We're watching crypto with the SEC approving the first ever spot Bitcoin ETFs managed by the likes of Grayscale, Bitwise, Fidelity, BlackRock, ARK Invest, and several others. First trades are expected today. We'll have much more on that, plus the CEO of one of those ETF sponsors later in the hour. But you can see uh, cryptocurrency, the entire complex in the greed across the board. Bitcoin, a bit of a muted rise, but you can see right now above the 46,000 mark right now. Okay. That is your U.S. setup. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. Our Jamana Brissetti is live in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Jamana, good morning. That's right, Frank. Well, so much green on the board behind me. Decidedly risk on today after yesterday's soggy performance with the stock 600. Every single one of the majors is trading in the good. Uh, we are leading, uh, seeing gains led by basic resources. So some of the miners at the top of the FTSE 100, the likes of Antafagasta, Anglo-American leading the charge this morning. Also seeing a good bounce in autos. It's best day in month with some of the lead automakers in Europe also having a good session. FTSE 100 in focus, though, because we've had a bunch of UK retail earnings come out 
this morning. Marks and Spencer, one of the names trading at the right at the bottom of that index, down 5%, in contrast with some of the better performing names like Tesco, which is still showing a positive momentum this morning. Zetradax up four tenths of a percent, seeing also a rebound in some of the key industrial names within the German index. Zalando, also online retailer, right at the top of that index. And the Kekaront in France, also up three tenths of a percent, seeing a bounce in luxury names as well as the autos, as I mentioned. With, uh, we are seeing a mild underperformance, though, in European banks this morning. Could be on back of some downgrades that have come through in the sector. But let me just take you to Asian markets, because, again, there is one index that we're watching very closely there, and that is the Nikkei, up 1.77, almost 1.8 percent, 600 points higher through 35,000. That is a key level, Frank, because we have not been there since February 1990. So another milestone for the Nikkei. And this, of course, is on back of a 23% rise in the Nikkei in 2023. All right. Our Germana Brissetti live in London. Germana, thank you very much. All right. Turning back to the U.S., it is what we've been waiting for this week. The December Consumer Price Index, it's out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. It could dictate the path of rate cuts for the Fed for the rest of this year. Headline inflation is forecast to rise 0.2% month over month, hotter than the 0.1% gain in November. Year over year, inflation is expected to rise 3.2% from a year ago. That's just a small increase from the 3.1% annual gain in November. Core prices are estimated to have climbed 0.3% month over month in December, while rising 3.8% from a year ago. That would be the same monthly increase as November and a very modest slow slowdown from the 4% annual gain. Joining me now is Nancy Curtin, global CIO at Alti Global, a firm that manages or advises on more than $60 billion in assets. Nancy, good morning. It's great to see you. Good morning, Frank, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. So give us a sense. So much talk about this CPI report. How big of a deal do you think it is for the markets and also the bond market? Look, uh, every number is important in that sense. Uh, you know, our view is we'll break the 4% mark, you know, 3.8. That's in line with consensus expectations. But, Frank, we've been expecting inflation to head lower. Inflation expectations have headed lower. Uh, the PCE at the end of the year uh, was 1.9% annualized. That have been really pleasing to the Fed. Uh, the bottom line is inflation is heading lower uh, in 2024. Uh, and also we continue to expect and had expected last year uh, a soft landing for the U.S. economy and the Fed to be able to cut interest rates. Now, whether it's in the first quarter okay. or not remains to be seen. But yeah. All right. So, Nancy, you're expecting a soft landing. And also, according to your research, since World War II, there has not been a recession during an election year. So very important. Of course, we're in an election year here in the U.S. So with all that in mind, you shared your portfolio building blocks. We're going to show it to the audience. A lot to, to digest right here. So you focus on three areas, stability assets, diversified assets and growth assets. So I do want to ask you if the economy is in good footing. Do you want investors to focus more on the growth assets? And with this new Bitcoin ETF, would that be an example of something that you would push into growth assets? Um, so first of all, within those three uh, buckets of stability, diversified and growth, we're probably most favorable on diversified and growth. So first of all, within diversified, we're talking about private credit infrastructure. We're able to get 8 to 10 percent type returns. That's a, that's a challenge to growth assets as well, and it provides diversification uh, to portfolios with some really interesting uh, tax benefits as well. So kind of that's on the diversified side. 
On the growth side, uh, we think earnings and economic recovery will come through this year. That'll be good for growth assets, particularly for things that didn't do uh, as well last year. So we continue to have this broadening in market participation. Uh, so that's our expectation. Whereas on the stability side, uh, okay. look, uh, the Fed is going to cut rates. So, you know, shorter rates but, coming down, but uh, Nancy, longer rates remain you, pretty anchored at the path for a soft landing, that's still a, a strong economy with lower interest rates. Isn't this the time that you think investors should take more risk? I mean, wouldn't the risk be in the growth asset part? Look, if, if I can make 8 to 10 percent on things with fixed income type volatility, that's super interesting. But having said that, Frank, we are slightly overweight equities. We've been that way uh, through 2023. Uh, so that's been a good place to, 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 to be positioned. Uh, and so, yeah, we are constructive uh, on the outlook of the market. And do think uh, that earnings will benefit uh, this year from a combination of economic recovery, lower input costs, uh, you know, lower inflation, M&A activity, technological innovation are all contributors to what we think will be okay. a pretty good year for earnings. All right, you think it's going to be a good year? You're also expecting investors to buy the dip throughout the year. Nancy Curtin, great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, let's get a check Super with some Frank. of this morning's top now. corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning to you. Hi, Frank. Good Thursday morning to you. Alaska Airlines says it will cancel all flights on its Boeing 7. 37 MAX 9 jets through at least Saturday as it continues to wait for a green light from regulators and instructions on how to properly inspect door panels on its grounded fleet of MAX 9 planes. United, that's the other 737 MAX 9 operator in the U.S., says it canceled 167 flights yesterday and expects, quote, significant cancellations today, and that's due to similar issues. Now, this after Boeing CEO David Calhoun in a CNBC exclusive yesterday said the investigation results in last weekend's blowout will change things for his company. Listen in. I'm confident that that process will not only uh, prevent accident, but maybe more importantly, the data we collect from each and every one of those inspections, the data we collect will inform all of the actions that we have to take as a company. Meanwhile, Citigroup warning investors that charges tied to the decline of the Argentine peso, as well as its reorganization, are coming in far higher than it previously disclosed to the tune of about $3.8 billion. Broken out, Citi says it booked $780 million in restructuring charges, $880 million in currency conversion losses, and $1.7 billion in charges to replenish the FDIC's insurance fund. And don't miss a CNBC exclusive with Citi's CFO on closing bell tomorrow. And Alphabet's Google is laying off hundreds of staff working on its digital voice assistant, hardware, augmented reality, and engineering teams in an effort to cut costs and focus its attention and cash on developments in what else? AI. The company also says Fitbit co-founders James Park and Eric Friedman will also be departing. Google bought Fitbit for $2.1 billion in 2021, but has continued to roll out new versions of its own Pixel Watch in direct competition with Fitbit, Frank. Interesting development. There. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Fitbit wearer myself. You, you sure are. Yeah. So I got I to gotta do a little research on this one. Maybe Savannah. you need to move over to the Pixel. Maybe. 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 All right, Savannah, we'll see you later in the show. <laughs> see you later. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more on the crypto game changer and what a spot ETF approval could mean for wider investor adoption. Plus, Tiny Island, massive global implications. We look ahead 
to this weekend's Taiwan elections and what investors and business leaders need to know. And then later in the show, OpenAI looking to seal a deal with even more content creators to train its AI and avoid possibly billions of dollars in legal liabilities. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Join Finteract, a peer-to-peer community of financial services professionals, and keep your finger on the pulse of the industry. Finteract offers a digital hub to start conversations, connect with fresh perspectives, and problem-solve with peers. This members-only community also provides access to virtual and in-person events, where you can chat tech stack, develop efficiencies, and learn new ways to propel your business forward. Apply at finteract.net. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. In a watershed moment for the crypto industry, the SEC has approved the first spot Bitcoin exchange traded funds. Industry bulls are betting these ETFs will draw in new retail and institutional investors into the crypto market. Watching crypto on the news right now, we're seeing it's green across the board. Uh, Right now, Bitcoin fractionally higher. Some of the other coins doing considerably better. The 11 funds operated by ARK Invest, Fidelity, Bitwise, Franklin Templeton, BlackRock, Grayscale, Invesco, Wisdom Tree and others they're expected to start trading as soon as today. Joining me now is CNBC technology reporter Mackenzie Sagalos with much more insight into that key institutional adoption. Matt, good morning. It is great to have you here. Hey, Frank. Good to see you. All right. So, Matt, just spell it out for us. What are we seeing today? Is this a watershed moment for crypto? Is this something else? How should investors view this? So up until Wednesday's approval from the SEC, the $30 trillion advised wealth management industry in the U.S. had largely been cut out of the crypto sector. And, you know, very few U.S. investors have any sort of material allocation to Bitcoin at this point, despite it being one of the best performing asset classes of the last 18 months. You've got the Vanek CEO making the point that a lot of fiduciaries, financial advisors, and frankly, the banks have been told to steer clear of crypto up till now. That changes today. You've got Standard Chartered anticipating uh, fund inflows of 50 to $100 billion into these spot ETFs in the U.S. by the end of this year. And that's just the primary flows. We're not even looking at the secondary flows here in terms of other publicly listed funds that are now changing their prospectus filings with the SEC so that they can allocate more of their assets under management to Bitcoin. Right. So a lot of different moving parts here. I think for our audience, we want to figure out Does this make crypto more of an investable asset? Do you think it changes how portfolio managers see cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin? Yeah, that's certainly the trend and what we're seeing so far. Just in the first week of January, we saw mutual fund manager advisors, preferred trust, update their prospectus with the SEC so that they can allocate 15 percent of their assets to some sort of indirect exposure to Bitcoin. 
perhaps through Grayscale ProShares. And it's a trend that's that's catching on. I spoke to Bitwise's chief investment advisor, uh, chief chief investment officer, rather, and he says that financial advisors and family offices are really the primary market that ETF uh, ETFs unlock. That that includes RAs, it includes eventually wirehouses, and that's a many trillion dollar market. He's saying that among the financial advisors that they work with, uh, portfolio allocations to crypto going in the range of one to five percent here. So I do want to ask you this other question. So today we just showed the cryptocurrency complex, if you will. Bitcoin's the underperformer out the group. Any reason why? Is this almost like a sell on the news event that people are less excited about Bitcoin because of the news? We saw this huge jump in Ethereum, actually, and that's like where the next round of applications are, these spot Ethereum ETFs. Um, as you noted, like, we are seeing uh, prices moving higher this morning, and there was that question of, of whether we'd see a sell the news event once we got those, the slew of approvals. But the larger point here is that we're seeing a lot of asset managers um, put out more recommendations that they're going to allocate more of their portfolios to the crypto space, and that that would be a a net positive for the industry overall. All right. The first Bitcoin ETFs uh, expected to start trading today. Mackenzie Sagalos, our expert on all things crypto. Thank you for being here. Great to see you. Thanks, Frank. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we're going to stay on the crypto beat and a Worldwide Exchange exclusive with the CEO of one of those approved spot Bitcoin ETF sponsors. A lot to talk about there. We're going to be back right after this. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Turn our attention to Taiwan and the island territories closely watched presidential election this weekend. The candidate for the largest opposition party speaking overnight and ruling out any possibility of unification talks with China if he's elected. This is the White House plans to send a high level delegation to Taipei after the election Saturday. It's a move that could anger Beijing and complicate efforts to cool heightened U.S.-China tensions. Ayunis Yun joins me now from Beijing with more on why the elections on such a small island could have massive worldwide implications for investors and for businesses. Yunus, good morning. Hey, Frank. Well, the weekend election could be a game changer when it comes to security in the region and potentially change the course of the U.S.-China relationship. The front runner for the elections and uh, in this uh, vote is a man named William Ching De Lai. He's the current vice president. He's backed by the ruling party, which Beijing again today described as an extreme danger. Now, the Xi Jinping government perceives Lai's DPP party as a threat because it is pro-independence. At least that's what the perception is of Beijing. And since the Chinese Communist Party uh, believes that Taiwan is part of China and is not an independent country, uh, they see um, William Lai's party as particularly threatening. Now, Lai has said that he has no plans to declare independence. Uh, His two opponents are perceived by Beijing as safer and more likely to uh, keep the status quo. This is even though the differences among the parties are really not uh, very different. 
Now, his main rival, Hoyo Yi of the KMT, today ruled out unification talks. And the polls have narrowed, but they continue to suggest that William Lai is uh, going to win. Now, for investors in the U.S. business community, the reason why this is so important is because of what it says about the security situation. Uh, right now, because uh, Beijing has been framing this as a choice between peace and war, um, if Lai does uh, win, uh, Beijing um, has already indicated that it would maintain a hostile stance uh, towards Taipei. It uh, would likely um, ratchet up its military intimidation. Also, um, just this week, it announced a potentially more economic punishment in the form of the suspension of preferential uh, tariff rates. And um, there's even a concern that there could be a scrapping of a longstanding economic pact. In terms of security of uh, the supply chain, as well, uh, Frank, uh, that is another thing that would definitely be on the minds of CEOs. Yeah, so a lot of broader implications, not only from this election, but also from the U.S. deciding to send people to Taiwan following the elections. Can you tell us more about that, that U.S. response to this event? Well, so far, the U.S. has um, said that Beijing should not interfere in any way in this election um, and also had said that they are going to send out an unofficial delegation uh, right after the election. So um, that is uh, likely going to um, annoy uh, Beijing. Um, there's also um, maybe a little bit of a hope on the part of Beijing, just based on some of the commentary that we've heard um, out of the administration here, that there would be some sort of an upset because uh, the other two uh, candidates who are there, as I said, are seen as much friendlier. And so because of that, the uh, Xi Jinping administration has already indicated that they would be much more willing to engage with Taiwan, potentially reducing tensions. Yeah. Small island, big ramifications from this election. Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. Great reporting as always. Eunice, great to see you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, getting set for today's major market event and the December CPI report that's due out before the opening bell. What Moody's chief economist Mark Zandi is looking out for and what a hotter or a cooler reading could mean for the Fed's next move. Plus, we check in with our Arjun Kapal. And what was likely a pretty late and wild night in San Moritz, Switzerland, on the back of that SEC spot Bitcoin approval. Arjun, are you just waking up or are you about to go to bed? How, how crazy did it get out there? <laughs> I was in bed at 9.30, but the crypto industry was certainly partying. I'll bring you the reaction from the ground here from the industry at San Moritz at the Crypto Finance Conference. Stay tuned. It is just before 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. The market momentum continuing to regain its footing with the Dow and the S&P pulling out of the red for the new trading year. Top of agenda today, the latest read on inflation. As one Fed chief warns, the markets may be overly excited about the potential for rate cuts. And it's a go. The SEC giving the green light to several Bitcoin ETFs. The CEO of Bitwise is standing by on what his firm's ETF approval could mean for opening the doors to more investors in crypto. It is Thursday, January the 11th, 2024. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome, to World Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check. 
on U.S. stock futures following that higher session yesterday. Take a look right now. You see futures solidly in the green. Looks like the Dow would open up about 35 points higher. The Nasdaq, the best performer in the pre-market, up over a third of a percent. We'll also check the bond market and the 10-year yield, trying to hold just below that key 4% mark. Take a look right now at 3.99 even. We'll continue to watch this all morning long. And also, we're watching some breaking news this morning uh, impacting the oil market right now. Um, The Associated Press reporting that an oil tanker previously at the center of crisis between Iran and the U.S. was boarded in the Gulf of Oman by, quote, unauthorized men in military uniforms. The AP citing an advisory group run by the British military and a private security firm says details, they remain unclear. And what was apparently the latest seizure of a ship in the waters of the Middle East. So right now we're going to take a look at oil prices right now. We're seeing oil move higher right now, following some of that news uh, potentially as a catalyst right now when it comes to oil. We're going to show you in just a minute. But in general, oil moving higher. Um, Actually, we're going to move on. Um, That's your morning uh, money setup. All right. The key driver for the markets today, the release of the December CPI report due out in just about three hours. The headline figures expected to show a slight uptick from November, 3.2 percent. A different story for the core figure expected to show a slight drop to 3.8 percent, but nearly double the 2 percent inflation goal set by the Fed. Still, the CME's FedWatch tool gauge showing traders believe there's a strong chance of an initial rate cut by the central bank in March. However, comments yesterday from New York Fed President John Williams said, It's still just too soon to call for those rate cuts. He says the central bank still needs to see more progress in their fight to get inflation back to that 2% target. For more, let's bring in Mark Zandi, Moody's Analytics Chief Economist. Mark, good morning. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Frank. Good to be with you. All right, so Mark, give give us the bottom line here. Is this really a big deal, this CPI report? Is this really a market mover? Keep it in mind, we have a PCE report coming up and then a Fed meeting still in January. Well, clearly it could be, uh, but my sense is uh, it'll be close to expectations. Three, I think you pointed out three-tenths of a percent increase on the month for the top line, two-tenths, three-tenths on the core. If we get anything close to that, I think you know, markets will take that in stride. Uh, more, more broadly, though, I think uh, there's a general sense, and I think it's correct, that inflation is headed back to the Federal Reserve's target. Uh, that uh, you know, all the trend lines here look uh, really good. So one month, we're, if we're off script, no big deal. Um, you know, I think people think that, and I think rightly so, that inflation is uh, going in the right direction here. All right. So it sounds like you're saying if it's a little hotter, a little cooler, that's not a big deal. But there's, are there certain data points within here that you think could be a big deal, whether it's shelter inflation or some other uh, data point that you're watching very closely? Yeah, there, there, there are a few things that are key to the outlook that inflation is going to continue to moderate. Uh, you mentioned the growth in the cost of housing. Uh, that, that's key. That's, you know, a third of, a little over a third of the CPI. So that has to come in. You know, everything says that it should. Uh, it's, it's tied back to market rents and rents have been flattened down for more than a year. It takes about a year for the rents to translate through into the, into the CPI. But uh, I would expect that uh, to occur. And we'll see more evidence of that today. So that's something to watch. Okay. Uh, also, vehicle prices, that's key. Frank, uh, you know, they went skyward during the pandemic with all the shutdowns and the collapse in production and inventory. New vehicle prices have come in, but new, excuse me, used vehicle prices have come in, but new vehicle prices still remain very elevated. And that's really key also to the outlook for getting inflation back in. So I, I would watch that as well. Okay. So in your mind, uh, are we on path for a soft landing? When we talk about that soft landing story, how important is this CPI report? And what do you make about uh, those comments from the New York Fed president? 
Yeah, I think we're on track for a soft landing, meaning no recession. Uh, you know, and, and inflation is key because uh, if inflation doesn't stick to script and remains uh, above target, then the Federal Reserve is not going to be able to cut rates and may even have to raise rates at some point. And that's the fodder for a recession. So, you know, key to a soft landing, critical to soft, the necessary condition for soft landing is that inflation, you know, uh, moves in the right direction here. I, I think uh, President Williams is uh, uh, making a really good point. He's saying, look, uh, we've got a ways to go here in getting inflation down. Even if inflation sticks to our script today, core is, you know, around 3%. So we need something closer to 2 uh, and 2.5% on the CPI. So we've got a ways to go. So, you know, it's a little premature to conclude that we're going to have uh, lots of rate cutting here. I mean, the Fed's forecasting three. I think okay. we mentioned the markets are six rate cuts. That You know, that feels uh, overly optimistic. So you're saying the Fed's at three, the market's at six. What do you think is the most likely outcome here in 2024? I'd be closer to the Fed's forecast than the market's forecast. Uh, you know, I, I mean, three rate cuts is pretty aggressive. Uh, and I think that's probably closer to what we're going to get in uh, okay. 2024. All right. Mark Zandi says, don't fight the Fed. Mark, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Let's get a check with some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning again. Hey, Frank. Good morning again. OpenAI is reportedly in talks with CNN, Fox, and Time, Time, and Time to license their news content, including text, videos, and images to help train its AI systems, making it more relevant and up-to-date. OpenAI has been battling copyright infringement allegations with companies, including the New York Times. Sherry Redstone reportedly launching a formal auction of Paramount Global Owner National Amusements. The New York Post says Redstone's bankers, BDT Capital Partners, is now sharing non-disclosure agreements with private equity firms to view National Amusements Financials, which currently has a 10% stake in Paramount and controls 77% of its voting shares. The Post adding Redstone prefers to sell all of National Amusements. Now, this follows yesterday's Wall Street Journal report that Skydance Media is discussing an all-cash bid for National Amusements. And a meaningful rebound in the housing market could be underway. KB Home posting lower sales and earnings for its fourth quarter, but it says the recent decline in mortgage rates makes buying a home more attractive, noting it's seen a significant uptick in orders over the first several weeks of the first quarter. Now, the home builder believes it's well positioned to meet buyer demand, signaling home prices could fall from where they stood in the fourth quarter, Frank. Silvana, thank you very much. All right, turning back to our other top story, and in a watershed moment for the crypto industry, the SEC has approved the first spot Bitcoin ETFs. These are ones that industry bulls are betting will draw in new retail and institutional investors into the crypto market. Watching crypto on that news, we're seeing Bitcoin up about three quarters of one percent, but by far the laggard when you look at the crypto uh, complex, you see Ether, actually the best performer this morning, up five and a half percent. The 11 funds operated by the likes of ARK Invest, Fidelity, Bitwise, Franklin Templeton, BlackRock, Grayscale, Invesco, Wisdom Tree, and others are expected to start trading as soon as today. Joining us now from the Crypto Finance Conference in St. Moritz, Switzerland, is CNBC senior technology correspondent Arjun Kapal. Arjun? 
Good morning, Frank. Look, let me give you the view from the ground here. I was in bed at 9.30 so I could be bright and fresh for Wex, but people I've spoken to this morning said the celebration started off a little tame because they weren't sure after the full start from the SEC previously, and then they got a little bit more rowdy as everyone celebrated the ZTF because it is a big deal for the crypto industry. Three things stand out on this news for me. First, as you mentioned, Bitcoin relatively flat. It had 150% rally last year, and a lot of this on the ETF optimism, and so that's very much priced in. But Ether, the standout performer. Why? There is now expectation from the industry and participants here on the ground that the SEC could next approve an Ethereum ETF as early as May. And that's why you're seeing Ether up. But I want to contrast that with comments from SEC Chair Gary Gensler, which were very strong after the approval. Effectively, he was saying, don't think that because we've approved the Bitcoin ETF, we're going to approve a bunch of other crypto assets. He said it should in no way signal the commission's willingness to approve listing standards for crypto asset securities. Gensler reinforced the fact that he sees most crypto assets as securities, whereas Bitcoin is a commodity. And he reiterated that Bitcoin is a speculative asset and can be used in illicit activity. So the SEC hasn't turned pro-crypto all of a sudden. So that could be pouring cold water over some of the skeptics, uh, ATF um, uh, uh, thoughts about the Ethereum ETF. Now, I just want to uh, give you a view of what this means for the broader crypto industry and prices going forward. I had a chance to catch up with MT Scaramucci, the founder of Skybridge Capital. Here's where he thinks Bitcoin's going in the next year. Because of the broader nature of ownership and because of the pushing of the Wall Street sales forces, uh, Bitcoin will go through its all-time high. And remember, we see it as digital gold. And so if you look at the market capitalization of gold at $13 trillion, there's no reason why Bitcoin couldn't be 50 or 60 percent of that market capitalization. So that implies a 10x price over the next decade. But could Bitcoin be $100,000, uh, which is more or less a double or plus a little bit more than a double? By this time next year, I do believe that. Scaramucci's view there very much broadly of the crypto industry that Bitcoin will hit new all-time highs this year and perhaps go further thanks to the ETF and potentially the upcoming halving as well, Frank. All right, Arjun Kapal, live in St. Moritz, Switzerland, claiming he went to bed early, but I heard there was a lot of partying going on there. Arjun, great reporting as always. All right, we're going to stick with Bitcoin now. Joining me now in a CNBC exclusive is Hunter Horsley, the CEO of Bitwise and the sponsor of one of those newly approved spot Bitcoin ETFs that start trading today. Hunter, good morning. Great to have you here. Frank, great to be with you. Good morning. So I just want to start off. What do you think? Obviously, you're excited to get into the spot Bitcoin ETF business. But what do you think this means for Bitcoin specifically going forward? Arjun just mentioned he's at a big, big uh, cryptocurrency conference over in Europe. People believe it's going to hit new all time highs this year on the back of this new ETF. I think this is probably the most important moment in Bitcoin's history, or at least in the last 10 years. It's a huge unlock for, for access to the space. We think it's a, an incredibly important moment. So according to a survey that your company recently did, about 88 percent of portfolio managers, they've been waiting for an opportunity to add Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And they say an ETF is that opportunity. So once this, uh, I mean, now that it's approved and once it starts trading, what kind of adoption do you, are you expecting on the portfolio manager side? Do you believe it's going to be like a certain allocation of a portfolio? What are you hearing? Yeah, we're hearing huge demand. So uh, at Bitwise, we're launching BITB, the lowest cost Bitcoin ETF in America. And as you said, what we've heard from clients, 88% of advisors said they wanted to wait for an ETF to be approved to allocate to that space. That moment's arrived. We've heard demand, a huge amount of demand from our client base 
We serve tens of thousands of investors across the country. And how they will incorporate it will be different across different investors. Generally, what we see is a 1% to 5% allocation in portfolios where the volatility but low correlations of Bitcoin can be really additive to the overall picture. Uh, and I think that's key. I think sometimes people think that investing in Bitcoin and the volatility that comes with that uh, is uh, a risky bet. But what most investors are doing is sizing it in a way that it's beneficial to the overall portfolio. They're not putting right. all of their money in Bitcoin. And the ETFs, BITB, make that okay. uh, straightforward and impossible today. So you mentioned people that think that crypto and Bitcoin is a risky bet. I mean, people at the SEC seem to be among those people not that long ago. In your mind, what changed to allow for the approval of these Bitcoin ETFs? So the, the first filing for a Bitcoin ETF was, was 10 years ago, which is, which is hard to imagine. And we've been working on it for about six years. Bidwise is a firm, is a, is a crypto specialist, and, and has been in the space managing over a billion dollars for clients for, for seven years now. I think that the market has matured a long way. So the SEC over the years has wanted to know if there's regulated, qualified custody that can securely hold these assets. They've wanted to know that there's enough market maturity and liquidity, and they've had uh, concerns about, is there a risk of manipulation? And in the order that they issued last night, approving Bitcoin ETFs, uh, allowing Bitcoin ETFs to be introduced to the market, uh, they uh, expressed that they're comfortable with all of those elements. And so I think that's a really watershed moment for, for investors to see that analysis from the SEC. So in your mind, now that you're going to be able to buy a spot Bitcoin ETF, how's that going to impact um, interest in the underlying asset, Bitcoin itself and other cryptocurrencies? I think it's a, I think it's a huge catalyst. You know, if you, if you look at the history of gold, uh, after the dollar came off of uh, the gold peg in the, in the 70s, gold was still around and, and it, uh, it traded around. But it was really in 2003 when gold got its first ETF that the market expanded and gold went on a 10-year uh, bull market. And I, so I think with the Bitcoin ETFs, finally there's a way for busy investors, for professional investors to uh, access this opportunity. And that will mean adoption through the ETF, but it will also grow the overall market uh, with investors buying Bitcoin directly as well. All right. Hunter Horsley, uh, good luck launching your spot Bitcoin ETF. Great to talk to you. Hoping to have you back to see the kind of progress you make once this officially gets going. Trading expected to start today. Thank you again. Absolutely. Should be an exciting day. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, more bad news for Boeing as the company's CEO looks to do further damage control over the fallout of that mid-flight plug blowout. Plus, list of Republican hopefuls vying for the White House looking smaller this morning. Worldwide Exchange, we're back right after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We start with Barclays raising its rating on Chewy to overweight. It says it expects revenue growth for the online pet supplier's retailer. Uh, supply retailer will accelerate in the back half of the year as its customer growth stabilizes. Shares of Chewy up 3.5%. Goldman Sachs cutting its rating on Lyft to neutral. It cites a more balanced risk-reward skew in the ride-sharing company's stock following its increase since earnings in November. Shares of Lyft, however, down 1.5%. And Baird raising its, its rating on Salesforce to outperform. Baird saying it sees upside from current levels with price increases, the potential return of front office spend, and stronger sales execution potentially driving upside. Those shares up a third of a percent. Time now for your global briefing. The Department of Justice finding SAP more than $220 million dollars to resolve bribery allegations with payments to government officials in South Africa and Indonesia. 
According to court documents, the software maker delivered gifts to officials in the form of cash, political contributions, luxury goods, and electronic transfers in order to obtain valuable government business. Uniqlo owner fast retailing topping operating profit expectations as it benefits from surging demand in North America and Europe. The retailer, which is the largest apparel maker in Asia, is preparing for a new expansion phase in an effort to more than triple its current sales. And the EU antitrust chief Marguerite Vestager heading to San Francisco today to meet with the CEOs of Apple, Alphabet, Broadcom and NVIDIA. Vestager is expected to discuss digital regulation and competition in Europe, including how the Digital Markets Act impacts big tech's profitability and product accessibility. She's also set to speak at a tech antitrust conference and Berkeley Law event this week. All right, coming up, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, where our next guest says the Magnificent Seven could be expanding to nine. The stocks, he says, may be a part of that high-flying group. But first, your top trending stories. Carrie Bradshaw's legendary wardrobe taking a trip from New York City to L.A. The tutu worn by Bradshaw during the opening credits of HBO's Sex in the City hitting the auction market in L.A. next week for an expected price of between eight dollars and $12,000. An iconic gum is facing its final blow. Farrar Candy Company announcing it is discontinuing Fruit Stripe gum after a 54-year run due to changing consumer preferences and purchasing patterns. Another farewell, this time for one major name in college football. It's the big one, Alabama coach Nick Saban retiring after winning seven national championships more than any other college football coach. In a statement, Saban says, the 17 years at the university are not about how many games were won or lost, but the legacy he leaves behind. A lot of people think he's the best college coach ever. It's been uh, Worldwide Exchange coming up after this break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. Alaska Airlines announcing it will cancel all flights on its Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets through at least Saturday as it continues to wait for a green light from regulators and instructions on how to properly inspect door panels on its grounded fleet. Boeing CEO telling CNBC data collected from ongoing investigations will inform all of the actions that the company will have to take. Citigroup warning investors that charges tied to the decline of the Argentine peso and its reorganization are far higher than the previous estimate of $3.8 billion. You don't want to miss a CNBC exclusive with City CFO on closing bell tomorrow. Alphabet laying off hundreds of staff working on its digital voice assistant hardware, augmented reality, and engineering teams as it looks to cut costs and focus its attention on AI developments. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie dropping out the Republican presidential primary race, marking a stepping stone for remaining candidates challenging Donald Trump, including Wall Street favorite Nikki Haley. Japan's Nikkei continuing its climb, surging above 35,000 to its highest level since 1990. Expectations for a rate cut by the Bank of Japan, along with the weaker yen, contributing to the rally as export-related shares get a boost. And we are watching the price of oil, following a word that an oil tanker previously at the center of a crisis between Iran and the U.S. was boarded in the Gulf of Oman by quote-unquote unauthorized men in military uniforms. Taking a look at prices of oil right now, moving higher. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, up over 1.5%. Similar story for Brent crude, the international benchmark. All right, here's what to watch today. The big story this morning, December CPI. That's out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We also get initial jobless claims and federal budget figures. And we're set to get fresh Fed comments from Richmond President Tom Barkin. That's coming this afternoon. All right, markets looking to extend yesterday's gains and continue to rebound from its rocky start to the year. Taking a look at futures right now, you can see uh, a bit of a change for the Dow right now. Actually, the Dow moving lower down about 13 points. Uh, the Nasdaq still keeping its gains in the pre-market up over a third of a percent. 
Joining me now, Malcolm Etheridge, CIC Wealth Executive Vice President and a CNBC contributor. Malcolm, good morning. It's great to see you. Good to see you. Morning. Well, I think we got to start on some news right now. Uh, what do you think about that uptick in oil prices seemingly on uh, the incident in the Gulf of Oman right now where some unauthorized people are, have entered uh, an oil taker? Uh, any thoughts about that, that jump in oil prices this morning? Yeah, I think uh, fortunately we won't see data on that in the CPI read that we're about to get because obviously that's where the market is focused right now. Um, and energy prices will it will definitely have an impact on core CPI. So we might find out uh, in a couple of months that it actually did have a significant impact. Uh, we don't know yet, but uh, thankfully, as far as today's numbers are concerned, it's it's a little too far out to tell. Right. All right, we'll continue to watch that story. Um, I want to focus on today and the market today. Uh, of course, we have CPI coming up later today. With that in mind, what's your WEX word of the day? Yeah, so my word of the day is uh, dislocation, as in there's a clear dislocation between uh, what the market feels about itself or the economy feels about itself, I should say, uh, and what consumers feel about the economy. Because any survey you've looked at over the last two months even, uh, it's been a negative sentiment from consumers still where the economy is showing, you know, as we just talked about, you know, CPI is coming down, at least core CPI is coming down, even if there's a slight uptick overall. And the job market is still fairly strong. Yet anytime you hear from consumers, it's a bit sanguine. And I think part of it is simply that when people hear inflation is coming down, they expect that means prices will also come down rather than prices have just stopped rising, basically. All right, interesting. So you're, you're saying right now that uh, people are sanguine about this, this, the whole situation with the economy and, and their outlook for it. But what does that mean for investing? Does that mean um, you think that right now is a better time to invest in bonds? Do you think that that means that people won't be as bullish on equities? Do you believe that that means that the Magnificent Seven will be just as popular this year? Yeah, so there's another dislocation, if you will, right? The economy uh, is telling us one thing. Consumers are telling us another thing. And the stock market is telling us a completely separate story. So the, the stock market seems to be powering on regardless of what the consumer feels uh, is actually happening. And so I think that, yes, right now things are great. There's a broadening out that happened toward the end of last year where uh, Basically, anything that wasn't the MAG-7 started to show itself uh, in the last couple of months. But I do think that once we get into uh, bumpier territory, once we start to have more volatility introduced back into the market, we will see a reversion back to something similar to the MAG-7. I don't think we'll call okay. it the MAG-7 again because a few names will drop out, but it'll be something similar. All right. So you're, you're also adding two names yourself to what could be part of this new MAG, whatever number it is. Um, both Intel and Adobe. So I do want to ask you, these are higher valuation names. Um, Intel's actually outperformed the market over recent weeks. Uh, Adobe's underperformed the market. Why these two names? Yeah, so these are two names that I believe fit into the theme of AI uh, legitimacy, right? So we had a lot of hype and speculation around AI that kicked off around uh, early 2023 with the introduction of ChatGPT. But I think What's going to happen now is we will continue our love of AI, but it'll be companies that actually have a clear path to turning a profit uh, in the in the near term. So if you think about a company like Adobe, their creative cloud uh, and their text to image uh, tool are just getting more and more valuable as more uh, 
creators try and draw a moat around their their works, right? We just saw the lawsuit from the New York Times, for example, trying to protect their intellectual property. That benefits Adobe. And then on the other side, I look at somebody like uh, Intel with Pat Belsinger out there talking AI everywhere and even now putting chips, uh, putting PCs into uh, cars. I think that you have to consider there's a world where NVIDIA has gotten about as much uh, orders as it can possibly handle. And somebody else has to pick up that slack. And so I think Intel is a great name to consider. Malcolm, got to leave it there. Your two picks, Adobe and Intel. Great to see you as always. We let the audience go. Quick look at the futures and also the oil market right now. We are seeing the futures a bit mixed right now. The Dow going into negative territory not that long ago. Also, the oil uh, market right now moving higher. That's going to do it for us. Squawk Box up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Join Finteract, a peer-to-peer community of financial services professionals, and keep your finger on the pulse of the industry. Finteract offers a digital hub to start conversations, connect with fresh perspectives, and problem-solve with peers. This members-only community also provides access to virtual and in-person events where you can chat tech stack, develop efficiencies, and learn new ways to propel your business forward. Apply at finteract.net.